0: Your lights.
1: Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of WA This Week. And uh, first up, um, you'd recall uh, from previous podcasts that um, we were going to have a a by-election in Rockingham. The Premier, Mark McGowan, the former Premier, the Honourable Mark McGowan, had uh, resigned and uh, that seat had to be filled. Well, the vacancy had to be filled. We had an outstanding candidate in that seat from the Liberal Party, Peter Hudson, and... And uh, look, a really interesting uh, outcome in that election. First up, a huge swing away from the, the Labor Party in that election. Now, look, part of that's to be expected. Mark McGowan uh, was extremely popular as a local member. And uh, in particular, as we've discussed a few times, the, the you know, the, the referendum, if you like, of the 21 election on the handling of COVID um, was massively in favor of Premier McGowan. And in fact... Um, you know, what we saw even continuing out until he resigned was that he maintained very high popularity that went down. But worryingly for the Labor Party, a large swing back. And uh, I I really characterise this as probably being, taking us back to 2017. Now that wasn't, you know, we'd lost government in 2017, but a fundamental change. But I'll tell you what I really took out of the the whole campaign. I spent... um, Uh, a a good deal of time down there. I was uh, visited uh, three times before the election, now pre-poll, and spent most of the day down there on the Saturday. And the feedback I got from Liberal supporters in particular is that, you know, we're heading in the right direction and they're very upset, and this is more generally than just Liberal supporters, people are really upset about the core issues that government are responsible for, whether it's law and order, that massive deterioration uh, where we see this this huge increase in in violent crime under this Labor government, um, the health system really in chaos. I'm sure any of you that have got loved ones who are waiting for surgery who can't afford to go in and pay privately um, would know just the the chaos that exists in the in the hospital system. And and if you have to turn up to emergency, and you're waiting to be treated. Um, you know, whether it's uh, schools, whether it's housing. I mean, we continue with this debacle where people can't get, uh, you know, can't get housing. And, um, you know, the, you've got people obviously in the most serious position where they're, they're living on living rough on the streets. But many people are couch surfing, cribbing beds in caravans and, and the like. And, you know, all under the watch of this Labor government who are heading into seven years in office. Um, and so that was a, a, a big swing and a, and a clear message to the Labor government that, you know, they need to lift their act. And as I say, from the Liberals' part of party's point of view, also, you know, a clear message saying, look, you guys are heading in the right direction. Now, we know there's a lot of work to do. We don't, you know, don't take it for granted. And we don't think that this is just some, you know, ride, easy ride into the next election. We know we've got to work hard. We know we've got to have great policies. We know we've got to have great candidates, and I'm confident we're going to do that. There's an enormous amount of work going on in the party in that direction, and that's going to continue. But look, congratulations to Peter Hudson. He did a fantastic job in that election, a really impressive young man, and uh, someone who uh, I sincerely hope in the future has a career in in Parliament because um, he would have been a great representative for the seat of Rockingham. Uh, look, that wasn't to be in you know, we knew that that was unlikely to be the case, given that this is the safest Labor seat in Australia, um, but certainly someone who is an excellent individual and did an excellent job. So thanks, Peter. Thanks to all those people that supported us. And uh, I hope the Labor government gets the message. Not confident on that one. Um, you know, the West Australian newspaper has been, you know, talking a lot about the arrogance of the uh, now put Labor government all too evident and... You know, Any of you that followed it would have seen that in the behaviour and commentary of some of the ministers around this election. But um, look, back to normal matters now. Um, one issue that did um, come up during the week, um, uh, there's a group called Shalom House that help people who really are doing it tough. People, um, they uh, have a program that they run for people who are drug addicted and they have an enormous uh, success rate. They are very effective in turning people's lives around, and they do this in a really holistic way. Um, I've actually visited their centre out at um, Middle Swan and seeing the work they do, had a chance to talk to people there and the staff, and I was really genuinely impressed uh, that the, with the work that they do. Um, they were trying to um, uh, set up a new centre, but uh, a new drug drug rehabilitation centre in Craigie, uh, it, it was um, previously used as a, as a, um, uh, uh, or for other purposes, and uh, it looked like it was reasonably well placed. But look, there was a lot of consternation in the community, and I can understand um, when people sort of look at these things at face value, they get concerned about it, and the council then got concerned about, it and that was turned down. But look, I really hope that that, that Shalom do get the opportunity to build a centre now. Clearly, this one in Craigie, has, that opportunity has gone by. Um, but I do hope there is good support uh, for them. I genuinely do think that the work they do uh, is outstanding. And, uh, you know, just seeing people's lives turned around in, in a much higher proportion. Typically, um, drug rehabilitation is not so effective. And yet they seem to have a very effective formula. And the way they treat people, I think, is, is, is a very human, decent way that they do it. So... I hope that 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 something does come to pass, and I hope in the future when people look at those developments, they look at it objectively. And I I'd encourage anyone who, if you're in that situation, actually engage with Shalom, go out and look at what they do out at Middle Swan, and I think it would be hard not to be impressed by what they achieve um, with the resources they've got. Um, interesting, um, a lot of debate coming up at the moment about um, access to. Uh, or at least applications that are used where there may be national security implications, in particular TikTok and WeChat. Now, um, the state government makes some moves following federal government moves um, to ban uh, politicians and staff using uh, TikTok on their on their, uh, for their government devices. And one of the things we've done, I've done, is to make sure that we don't have that installed on a personal Device. We do use that platform, but we uh, have that on a burner phone so that we don't, uh, it doesn't have access to any of the networks that I use in my formal job. It doesn't have access to emails, contact lists, and the like. It's just a phone specifically only for that purpose. And we've encouraged the government to do that. And it's still not clear whether the state government has said that the staff shouldn't be using the TikTok on their personal phones, And because most of you know from your own work. Most people in government, most people in politics actually use personal phones, um, you know, for their communication and they use that for internal communication. They have contacts there, they have access to government websites and the like. And concerns have been raised by a federal parliamentary inquiry about WeChat uh, as well, and they're saying effectively it has the same security risks as TikTok. So I think it's time for the state government to take action on that. And as they say, in particular... They need to make sure that 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 uh, that ban extends to people's personal phones that they're using for work pro, uh, you know, purposes, uh, because um, it's clear, based on the Senate inquiry, that they perceive. And this was this was Greens, uh, Liberal, and Labor. It was a you know cross-parliament group, so it wasn't just a partisan view. Um, that there are real, uh, there are genuine security risks for people in government. Um, using those platforms on devices that have access to contact lists and have access to uh, government websites and the like. Um, another matter I want to talk about. And I look, I can tell you, I found this really disturbing. Um, uh, there's a group called Disrupt the Barap Hub who are, let's be frank, they're a bunch of green left-wing extremists, and um, you know they 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 want to shut down. Uh, our gas industry, that was shut down downstream processing of gas. Um, you know, I just get so frustrated with the complete ignorance behind these sorts of movements. Um, no regard for the well-being of our society, no regard for the well-being of individual households. They have this sort of umbrella where they say somehow they're protecting uh, the environment. Anyone who looks at the issue of transitioning away, uh, and transitioning to renewable energy, uh, one knows it is not trivial. It is extremely complex and It's extremely hard uh, uh, to do that. And it's going to take time. But two, uh, natural gas and natural gas from Western Australia is one of the key enablers for that to happen. Simple reason, carbon emissions and greenhouse gas emissions from uh, natural gas are one half of the emissions from coal. So if you transition from coal to gas, and on the East Coast, for example, 60% of their energy comes from coal, uh, if you do that, you immediately carve your greenhouse gas emissions. And that gives us time to develop the other technologies to complete that transition. Now, I'll, well, we'll talk about another time. I think we should actually do a podcast on this, just alone, on this whole uh, area of the transition, because, it, you know, people have... Uh, A lot of people have a heartfelt belief, you know, it's it's a sort of almost a spiritual belief, if you like, that this should be done, um, and you should transition it away, but utterly no comprehension of the magnitude of the task. Now, you know, I am a technical person. I've got a PhD in chemistry, and I've worked in industry for 24 years, so I do have, you know, a, a good handle on one the technical side of this, but also. The practical side of how you do this and how you can transition to fundamentally new technologies—it's extraordinarily hard. The cost is eye-watering. I won't go on about that. Uh, we'll do that separately because at the most basic level, um, aspirations that are being said are unachievable. Um, but you know, for this group, uh, who you know, look—if they want to protest outside offices, they're letting off stink bombs in in the corporate offices, what a disgrace. How disgraceful to do that to people, to assault people, because that's what it is it's assault of people. If I did that uh, in someone's home or anywhere else, I would be charged with assault, and I should be if I was doing something as stupid as that. But then to go around to Meg O'Neill's house, um, and apparently with the aim to invade the house, to graffiti uh, her residence where the partner and a child lived, and intimidating them, and let's be frank, threatening them, what an absolute disgrace. These people are extremists. They deserve no support from anyone. They should be put in jail for their behaviour. And, I, you know, this is just appalling behaviour um, by those individuals. And What's really disturbing to hear is that apparently Four Corners reporters were in tow with these people. I mean, imagine that. Now, this is a national broadcaster. Four Corners should have been ringing with police. This is not just some protest at an office where you say, well, the media might turn up and they don't have to tell anyone about it. These are people intending to to intimidate, to cause concern, and, and so we're here, apparently, to uh, invade the uh, Mega Anil's residence and graffiti it. Um, uh, and our, our national broadcaster, paid for by you, is going along, and, and you know, you, you can't help but seek that that's encouraging them when they've got um, uh, a broadcaster in tow with them. And as I say, this is fundamentally different to the media turning up and just reporting on a normal event. This is a premeditated, planned event by our national broadcaster, by Four Corners. So it'd be fascinating to see where Four Corners goes on this, um, on the ABC. You'd know, anyone that follows my well stuff knows, well, the keen supporter of the uh, role of the national broadcaster has to play, particularly in regional areas, Um, but this is uh, beyond the pale. Uh, But I'll go back to these protesters. These people are extremists. They have no care for you. They have no ultimate care. What they're proposing is not uh, some sensible transition uh, to renewables. What they're proposing is the destruction of our, our way of life. And I don't think I'm being too dramatic in that. If we followed what they're proposing, we would utterly destroy our economy probably most people in Australia would be unemployed. Um, you know, our economy would be in utter chaos. Um, you know, these people are not, uh, you know, just sort of polite idealists, they're extremists and really unacceptable behavior. Look, you can guess I'm I'm pretty upset about that behavior, but I really am. And I might say uh, at a personal level, Meg O'Neill is an outstanding individual, a really first rate. I think she's actually a model for CEOs. Um, in the way that she conducts herself, and uh, I think she does a fantastic job, and really disappointing to see her treated in this way and her family treated in this way. But look, thanks very much for listening. Um, otherwise, don't forget you can subscribe so uh, to this app, and look, um, you can you can see the live version that you're obviously seeing it now. But if you get the message, it's on Facebook, Spotify, YouTube, TikTok. Just search Dr. David Honey. Um, please share it with your friends. Really appreciate that uh, getting the message out. And, uh, um, uh, this is live, obviously here on fine day. So, um, really happy to answer uh, any of your questions. Otherwise really appreciate your comments and feedback. Thank you. Um,
0: all right. Well, we do have a few questions, but before, uh, just a couple of comments from the audience on what you said that the, the last thing had to do with May O'Neill, which is uh, good job, David Honey, um, for calling this out. I respect you for doing that. Uh, and someone else saying fully agree with everything you say, sir. Well, thanks. It's time. All right. First question. Well, kind of an interestingly worded question. It says uh, I have a
1: question. As a Labour voter, I was expecting a drop in support. Uh, yeah, well, there was a significant drop in um, support for the Labour Party. Uh, the primary vote dropped um, and the two party preferred uh, vote dropped. As I've said, if you actually look at the results, it's effectively returned to the sort of 2017 level. Now, that was that, oh, watermark for us 2017 was, um, you know, a a poor result for the Liberal Party. But um, what I did, well, one, the results say it. um, But two, the the time I spent there talking to people is people are seeing that the Liberal Party is on track to be a credible alternative government. And that's key for us, obviously. So, you know, if you're a student of politics, you would know oppositions are never elected. Uh, I don't think that's ever happened in the history of politics. Governments are sacked. By and large, people are pretty fair-minded. If they think a government's doing a reasonable job, they re-elect them. Um, but the community sacks governments when they think they're failing. And what's really clear is they're forming a view that this Labour government should be sacked. Um, and they're forming a view that the Liberal Party, with our national colleagues, are a credible alternative. Now, as I say, you know, one's followed, it's not a sum of as the old saying goes. Um, you know, this was a solid result for the Liberal Party. And I might say just in terms, there's been some commentary on that sort of two-party preferred vote. We had two really uh, strong independent candidates. We had uh, the deputy mayor and another councillor, both popular figures uh, in Rockingham, running as independents. In particular, the deputy mayor, uh, Haley was uh, a really impressive uh, young woman. I've said that before on on this podcast. Um, and uh, had been overlooked by the Labor Party. And I know a lot of Labor members were really upset that they would choose to put effectively a head office operative into that seat instead of someone who was a genuine, local, very um, well-qualified young woman um, into that seat. So um, there's no doubt whatsoever that they took uh, a significant number of votes away from uh, Peter Hudson um, because they were popular uh independent candidates um but what we saw in the two-party preferred vote was a really strong return i mean you know uh, essentially uh you know what around a uh a 20 percent improvement in our two-party preferred vote now i think that's a genuine reflection there uh, of that strong um you know solid support now rockingham as i said i think it's the safest labour seat in australia but um I am confident that we will have a much better showing at the next election. As I say, people saying it, take nothing for granted, um, but uh, I am confident that we're going to see a significant return. This, this, this election result was an indication that things have turned around.
0: Uh, Jen says, the container trucks are getting worse down in the Frio area. Is the Labour Party going to do anything about it? Leach Highway and Stop Road intersection is very bad, and it takes the trucks two sets of light to get through.
1: Yeah, look, I drive down there pretty regularly, and it's pretty intimidating. Is that, um, you know, when you've got trucks, which is why the Liberal Party proposed the railway to take those trucks off Leech Highway uh, and South Street, and um, the Labour government need to see, you know, this and Oh, I just get fascinated by the hypocrisy of this Labour Party. You know, they said they, they they wanted to stop the railway because it 0.19, 0.19, so one-fifth of a hectare uh, of uh, clearing was going to be done to push that road through. So what'd they do instead? they built this ludicrous, enormous roundabout at the end of Stirling Highway where it, where it intersects with Lech Highway. They they knocked down 70 mature gum friends 70 huge, any of you remember that area, you'd remember huge gum trees, nesting sites, feeding sites for cockatoos and a whole range of other birds on the edge of the golf course. They took a big swag of the golf course out to put a roundabout in, which was part of their solution. Directed all of the traffic off-road highway down past Murdoch Hospital between Murdoch University and the hospital, for God's sake. With, you know, that's where you want trucks, isn't it? Between a university and a whole hospital site. Um, And then, with their Outer Harbour proposal, they're going to demolish between 60 and 120 hectares of seagrass in Coburn Sound to avoid one-fifth of a hectare of clearing for the Row uh, Row 8 extension so that we could get trucks into Frio and get them off those main roads. What an absolute hypocritical farce from the Labor Party. And, uh, yes, look, I, I... I'm sorry, I can't offer you any um, solace on this one. It is it is an appalling decision by the Labor Party to stop that original project. Um, and what you know, what a joke! They, they're going to spend billions and billions. They say six billion. Let me tell you, this is like metro. They said it was going to be three billion. It's up to twelve now, uh, with with minimal changes to the scope, essentially the same project. They say six billion. I. This outer harbour, once you do all the other ancillary work around it, is going to be something, it'll be a $12 billion plus investment of your money. This is taxpayer money because they want to do it all themselves and keep it in the hands of government. Uh, they're going to do that when Fremantle Harbour is at one third capacity. Um, it is just utterly dumbfounding. And imagine what could be done with that money for homelessness. Uh, for reducing hospital wait times uh, and and ambulance ramping to actually develop meaningful projects uh, such as the port at Oakagee, uh so that we can develop new industries in, uh, and and in, in, and really uh, you know enliven a whole community in Geraldton with a with a massive investment of new industries up there. Anyway, I'm sorry about that, and uh, yeah, it is really concerning. And by the way. Any solution to the outer harbour is years and years away. It's probably a decade away, so what a muck-up. Uh, and as I say, what a hypocritical decision by the Labour Party. Um, Julia,
0: in reference to the uh, demonstration that you were talking about, says these people are terrorists. Screen party need to be destroyed. They are lunatics and they don't respect
1: Yeah, look, I, 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 think they, uh, I think they sort of have this guise of, Oh, well, they're well-meaning and they're thinking of you. No, they're extremists. Their views have no basis uh, in in reality, and and what they're proposing, you know, they're, what they're proposing would utterly destroy the lives, pretty well, of, of most Western Australians. If you went down their path, if you just stopped all the gas, stopped all the you know the current coal-fired stations in Collie and relied on renewables. Our, every heavy manufacturing industry in the state would shut down, but it would shut down a large part of mining, uh, you know, just be utter chaos. They don't care. They are extremists. They don't care. They uh, have just got themselves in... I think they are behave hysterically. You know, I heard one of the activists on uh, the ABC talk back this morning, with Nadia, uh, some young woman from this um, disrupt bar group, explaining it was... Um, you know, I, I, just uh, to listen to it, you could you could hear the the um, extremeness uh, in this uh, woman's voice in in terms of uh, what they were proposing. So, yeah, you did right. I, um, you know, I, I look. I hope, and I, I you know, I'm going to do everything I can to encourage the government to take the hardest possible line on this. This needs to be stamped out. Um, you know, people can protest with this idea. We here, apparently. Sometime in the next couple of weeks, you know, this group intend to shut down the freeway. Well, you know, I, every single person that uh, engages in that sort of activity goes to jail. Uh, this is unacceptable. You know, they can make their views down quite readily, especially these days with social media. Anyone can make their views down, but, uh, their views down, but these people are extremists and we shouldn't tolerate them.
0: A uh, local uh, question here saying Cottesloe Station needs an upgrade to make it more
1: wheelchair-friendly. Um, yeah, look, it is uh, a real issue in terms of... The, I think the station is actually quite run down. We see a lot of money spent on other railway stations, and especially, you know, there's there are... You know, and I speak, and we'll see more density in the Cottesloe Towns. And it's something which I support. I think it's appropriate if you are got to build apartments. that so you put them in these existing town centres where you're not impacting normal residential areas and where you are on a railway station and where there are plenty of businesses and cafes and supermarkets and the like uh, to support that. So, um, yeah, look, and, and I'm I'm really happy to follow that up um, as well. It's certainly very steep ramps, um into that area and, look, I will uh, actively pursue the minister and I will... Uh, thanks for the prompt on that and I will follow up with the minister on what improvements we can expect at the station.
0: All right. From TikTok, uh, speaking about the by-election, there were two Labour candidates in that election. Actually, the very disappointing was all for the lips.
1: Uh, look, I'm not sure of the connection between the two. Um, uh, the Labour candidate, uh, the independent candidate at least, who had been passed over by the Labour Party, gave directed their preferences to the Liberal Party. Um but, no, nah, look, this was not a good result for Roger Cook. And any of the like you know, the hard nuts in the Labor Party that are looking at numbers, I know there's a spin that the Premier's given. It didn't, didn't sound very convincing, I might say, when I was listening to him on TV uh, and uh, radio. Uh, but, look, no, nah, there's no doubt this was not a good result for the Labor Party. And, um, you know, I, I, as I say, I think that two-party preferred vote um, really uh, illustrates the swing away from the Labor Party. It wasn't a good result for them. Um, and, uh, you know, am I saying this is somehow heralding, you know, the government's going to tell us tomorrow? No, uh, I'm not saying that. But but anyone in Labor that tries to put a spit on this that this was a good result for them, I think that is uh, just not factually supported. Um, and, uh, look, and I thought the way they... I, honestly, I could not understand why the Labor Party passed over uh, uh Hayley, who ran as uh, a, an independent? Um, gosh, she, you know, you know, she was a, a very, very well qualified person for that role. And I like they a lot of Labor Party people that so I talked to them at the booth. They were really cranky with the Labor Party for the decision they made. It's a worry when the Labor Party driven by you know hardline union decisions and not what's good for a local community. Um.
0: On TikTok, also uh, polls are looking good for w- for the WA libs. Slowly, slowly catch a monkey, they say.
1: Yeah, look, I, know, I think that's right. Look, you know, you'd you'd be a mug if you um, sort of reacted to every poll and sort of suddenly heralded, uh, you know, that this was a, a you know some sort of victory. There's only one, as the old saying goes. There's only one poll that counts, and that is uh, the election itself. And there's a long time to go. You know, it's March 25 um the next election so that's that's prescribed it's a fixed date so um it's a long way to go but i was what i was really pleased by the response from the public um in that community and i think that reflects generally across the state i get out and about and then i get a similar response look we know there's a long journey ahead and we know that we've got to conduct ourselves properly we've got to have great Policies. We've got to have good candidates to be a credible alternative. We're working hard on that, and um, you know it is it is pleasing to see that turn around. I I said before on this podcast, you know there was this sort of like a COVID veil over Western Australian politics that that went with Mark McGowan, and there were a lot of liberals who you know who continued to strongly support Mark McGowan, and of course in the last election that translated into a massive support for the Labour Party, but I, I did it on the booth I was at, um, you know, that I spent most of my time at, which was in my local area, obviously my electorate, um, you know, I didn't have anyone come to me and say, I'm going to vote for the Labour Party. They said, I'm going to vote for Mark McGowan. We knew that when Mark McGowan retired, we would see a reset to more normal faultings and, you know, so that Mark McGowan and the Honourable Mark McGowan resigning from his role as Premier has heralded a return to more normal politics. Look, we're going to be held accountable for how we behave and, and the Labor Party are as well.
0: Uh, Leslie says, glad that the Liberals are not supporting the heritage laws.
1: Um, yeah, look, you know, you know, I, I've um, set aside some time. I'd wanted to. i been through the regulations that were promulgated um, uh, for that bill uh, in the time that I had when they were released and I set aside some time in... This is our what we call our winter break from Parliament to go through those regs in detail. They are horrifying. I just cannot comprehend that any government or rational person thought that the regulations that were implemented were were appropriate. And uh, the the delineation of of uh, what they call tier one, tier two, and tier three activities where you have to get Aboriginal cultural heritage are just dumbfounding. Um, Literally, if you were to take a bucket of sand off the beach, uh, you know, that would be falling into a tier two activity. It's, um, I won't go through it in detail, but you're dead right. There are profound problems with this act. Criminalizing people, actually, where people could go to jail, even if they did something purely by accident. And having that as part of your bill, I mean, that's true. Um, you know, if you kill someone, but you do it by accident, that's a defense. Patch under this Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Act, if you do something that damages Aboriginal cultural heritage purely by accident, so that it's clear there's no intent whatsoever to do it, it's done in complete absence of knowledge that this, whatever it was, could do that, um, you can still go to jail. I mean, that's extreme. So, yes, um, you know, we need to have a fundamental rethink of all of this. Those regulations should be scrapped. There is barely a part of those regulations that I think is acceptable. Um, Oh, so if any of you have got some spare time, go onto the website and read them. I think you will be aghast. <laughs> um, Spedicer on TikTok says, Cashing up
0: to the Labour Party? I don't know anyone in my age group or below 45 who supports the LNP. The fact the party you associated with Scott Morrison, his beyond me.
1: Ah, well, that's your view. Okay, <laughs> I guess we could never discuss the matter, but yeah. Look, um it's interesting in uh in politics we've always seen over this is over decades, um, you've tended to have a, you know, a stronger support for the left, um, you know, amongst younger people and uh stronger support for the liberals and nationals amongst older people and you know, who was well my father always used to say this thing if you if you weren't a socialist before you were twenty you had no heart and if you were a socialist after you're twenty you had no head. But uh and I've oh, said that to some folk, and they've got upset by like that but but I haven't upset you um, but look, I think that's sort of generally the way, you know when you're younger you think everyone should take care of you and as you get older you realise you've got to take care of yourself and that's probably a difference between the two parties um, but yeah look, um, uh, as I said, I'm, I'm not getting ahead of myself on this one uh, I don't think there's been some cataclysmic uh, change but it's very, very clear that the electorate are getting tired of this arrogant Labor government um, and they are increasingly seeing the Liberal national and it'll be a coalition, um, you know, as the as an acceptable alternative government, so we're going to work hard to keep that trend going. Uh, in reference to the protests, uh, I thought the Liberals believed
0: in free speech.
1: Uh, they're all for free speech, but I'm not a, not uh, all for you, you know, for anyone uh, just invading people's homes. I've had a similar thing, not this extreme. I hasten to add, right at the outset. But you know, uh, you know, journalists turning up at my family home. Now, I've never ever turned out an interview with a journalist. I don't think um, I've always made myself accessible to journalists. But you know what? In in the the couple of times in my sort of political career that's happened, well, you know, I made it very clear to the journalists: are very happy to talk to you, and they know that. But do not come to my house. My my family weren't elected. My, you know, and you, you know, any of you might think, oh, well, that's fine. I can tell you, it's extremely intimidating uh, for your family to be in that situation, and for them to feel that somehow they have to modify everything they do, the way they behave, what they do at home, because there could be journalists lurking around. That's unacceptable. Um, you know, I in public life, I'm quite prepared to be held accountable, and you know, I believe I am. Uh, and uh, I make myself available and you, you don't do that. So it's not about free speech. This is about invading a person's home and, and Meg O'Neill's partner and her child, you know, it's very, very clear that it was extremely upsetting to that family. That's wrong. Uh, they shouldn't have done. Have to, so you can say what you want to say. You don't You don't take that sort of action. That's not free speech. That's extreme intimidating behaviour. All right, Um James says we need
0: balance back in Parliament.
1: Boy, do we ever, James? <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty tough gig there, but we're up to it. But um, you know, you, you look at it, then I can tell you, I think um, I may have said I can get myself into trouble with this one. But I think sometimes, most of us, uh, probably our, our partners, the people we marry, are our harshest critic. And I think we is a little bit in the back of our mind that thinks we need someone who's going to hold us to account. Uh, that stops us doing foolish things, uh, or at least mitigates it. And uh, you look know, but I, I think definitely in Parliament you need that. I, I think the the Labor government, you know, with that Aboriginal Cultural Heritage le- legislation, because they could, because they had absolutely ascendant numbers, they just jammed it through the House. Now, especially in the lower House, you know, we got that bill four hours before we were debating it in Parliament. So I'm trying to read this bill as I'm trying to debate the thing in in Parliament, and. Then we're going through a process called consideration in detail, where you go through the bill line by line. And then they truncated that. They, they cut us off at midnight. We only got through part of the bill in terms of doing it in detail. Now, you know, sometimes it gives a government, yep, yep, let's rip into it, let's get our agenda done. But you know what? It's a good. Any sensible government listens keenly to the opposition. I mean, we don't go in there just trying to cause strife. Most of the legislation that the Labor Party puts up, we pass through Parliament. Um, you know without comment but this bill needed scrutiny it needed more time for them to think about it and think about what they were doing what they would come up with you know this is not some sort of uh I know it's been put around that people are trying to cause uh distress or this is somehow some beat up on the part of the opposition this this uh act and in particular the regulation uh, are extremely worried it is it is pitting um, Aboriginal people against non Aboriginal people. It is codifying conflict and it's financially rewarding conflict when I mean, structurally this bill is wrong. You know, this goes way beyond protecting Aboriginal uh, heritage. Um, you're monetising conflict over Aboriginal heritage with this bill and the regulations. I, they, look, they're unworkable. <laughs> this, uh, as I say, look, I encourage any of you who are interested in this area just go online and have a look at the regs i think you'll be as i said you'll be aghast they are shocking so um you know it it really this is why governments need a good opposition in parliament and uh you know the government where they've got complete control of the whole parliament i don't actually i don't actually think it helps them i think they'd be better off if they had a you know more opposition in parliament and they had to take a little bit more time to think about things as we all know Sometimes the first thought that pops into our head isn't the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, that's why a strong opposition in Parliament is really important. Uh, you have a couple of ones. Yeah, I'm far away. All right, cool. Um, so in relation
0: to the heritage laws, uh, Oz Kevin says, I feel for every farmer and landowner. It's racist and criminal. We've had some pretty bad.
1: Yeah, look, it's, you know, by, and look, people throw away around the word um, racism, and I'm not not criticizing that that, that comment, but, you know, racism, you know, fundamentally is that you differentiate what you do uh, based on race. Well, that's exactly what this um, bill does. Uh, And, you know, I know, again, people have said, oh, well, this shouldn't be conflated with the voice. The philosophy behind this bill is identical to the philosophy behind The Voice, and that is there is a view, and it's a strongly held view amongst the left, it's a strongly held view amongst many people in the Labor Party, particularly, can I say, at the parliamentary level, I'm not talking about general Labor support. So I think they've probably got a different view to this, but at that parliamentary level, those people that are into politics, there's a view that uh, Australia was invaded by non-Aboriginal people uh, Aboriginal people didn't ever see uh, sovereignty, uh, and therefore, all of Australia is owned by Aboriginal people. Everything that happens in Australia should be uh, requires the approval of Aboriginal people. Now, I fundamentally disagree with that. Uh, whatever happened uh, 200 years ago, uh, we are one people, and there should be one set of rights. Um, you know, we should respect all heritage and. In particular, we should respect Aboriginal heritage. I mean, don't away from that. This isn't something where it's can't and people just go in and willy-nilly destroy. I mean, Aboriginal heritage is, is the heritage of the world. It's, it's our collective heritage as well, and there should be proper processes in place to protect that, which there were um, before this bill came into place. It isn't a novel concept, but this bill goes way too far, and you're dead right. I, look, You know, don't worry, you know, yes, farmers need to be worried, but if you're a grader driver, uh, if you're a drilling contractor, uh, if you're a fencing contractor, um, and and don't go down that path, if you work on building sites, if you work on construction sites, if you're a property developer, um, you know, if you're someone who's got a marine industry, if you're a a fisher, you know, that that, that, uh, has a jetty somewhere, honestly go and read the regulations and see what falls into tier two and tier three activities, which require Aboriginal cultural heritage, uh, clear. It's, um, this, this is, this, uh, bill and act is unworkable and the government, you know, they've sort of backed off a bit now and said, they're going to go softly. The laws, the law has often made clear again, you know, a minister doesn't decide whether someone gets prosecuted or not. That's decided in the courts. And, uh, If this bill stays, and these regs in particular, if they stay in place, we're going to see a lot of people in court.
0: All right. Joe asks, uh, live sheep exports, what are your thoughts?
1: Uh, Well, pretty straightforward. I think that uh, done properly, live sheep exports are a really critical part of our agricultural industry. And I'll put this into context for you. Had a lot of commentary from uh, politicians and others on the East Coast you know how many sheep are exported from the East Coast uh, from outside of Western Australia? percent. 98% of the sheep exports come out of Western Australia. So when you're talking about banning live sheep exports, you're talking about attacking uh, Western Australian farmers. Why is it? Why is the big difference on the East Coast? They eat all their sheep. Uh, in Western Australia, uh, we don't eat all our sheep. Um, uh, we uh, can only eat someone because of our smaller population and we export um, you know, the, uh, a significant number of sheep. It's a key part of the sheep industry. One, it underpins the price of, of sheep deer. Um, uh, and, and two, it is an extraordinarily well-run industry. Now, if I took the time, you know, I think I've said to you know, in this forum and elsewhere, one of the jobs you do when you're in opposition is learn. So when they restarted the sheep uh, export industry, it'll be over over a couple of years ago. I went down to Fremantle, actually went down saw them loading the ships, went on the ships, saw how the sheep were penned. spoke to the veterinarians that accompany every voyage, um, and talked to them about it, spoke to the people that work on the ships. I was really impressed. I mean, the, um, you know, it's been put, and I believe it's true, that the mortality rate for sheep on those ships is lower than in the paddock. Uh, and the, the passion, the care uh, of those people that run that industry was just absolutely uh, fantastic. These They... You know, more than anyone else, they're people that care about these stock. They want them to, um, you know, be treated properly and the like. But it is a key part of our industry. There has been a collapse in sheet prices in the industry. I, You know, some of you may know, I've got a family farm down at Cranbrook, and I'll try and get down there when I can. And I was down there, I don't know, about four weeks ago, uh, chatting to some farmers because of the uh, this uh, impact on the live sheep exports now. there's an enormous number of sheep in the southwest of the state of Western Australia. There, if, if nothing happens in, if, in relation to making sure that we have these live sheep exports, there will be thousands of sheep that are simply shot um, that could be uh, exported safely, uh, humanely. Uh, and uh, and then provide food for people in other countries where they don't have refrigeration. And this nonsense that somehow exported frozen meat can replace it. Live sheep go to market where they don't have refrigeration. That's why they have live sheep exports. So, you know, um, you, you, and, and I might say if those countries don't get their live sheep from Australia, they will get them from countries that don't have anywhere near the good animal husbandry practices that we have here. So, guess what? Uh, I support the live sheep export industry. Um, I think we've got a a group of um, misinformed, bleeding hearts from the East Coast trying to dictate what happens to Western Australia, uh, and we should all oppose it.
0: Um, Another question from Joe, will you overturn the ban on the timber? Uh,
1: Look, um, I am extremely sympathetic to a timber industry. Now, the Liberal Party doesn't have a formal policy on this stage, but I can tell you what's happening. out down the southwest with banning this industry is utterly ridiculous. Um, you know, and we'll go to some basics here. You know, only one third of the forest was subject to forestry. So two thirds of the forest was reserved for no forestry, none whatsoever. So those, you know, people that love the forest and whatever. And otherwise, our forest industry was the best regulated forest industry in the world, bar none. Uh, enormous range of environmental controls to make sure that they weren't causing harm to the uh, broader ecosystem in terms of endangered species um, or the like. Um, the forest run a hundred-year cycle, and that is, if they cut a copse of timber in an the area, they wouldn't come back for a hundred years to that same area. So I won't go on. Um, there was a lot of detail available around that. So and what have we got this ridiculous situation down at the south at the moment? A lot of the area that was subject to forestry was replanted, but um, for whatever reasons, uh, the forestry um, prescribed enormously high rates of replanting, and I think the idea was that they would harvest timber at various stages of maturity. Now we've got this ridiculous situation. We've got large areas, many, many thousands of hectares, where the timber density is so great, literally, I went down there again, I get out. I don't just sit in my office and sort of listen to people tell me things. I go and look for myself. Uh, I've been down uh, uh, into those um, forestry areas, uh, into Mandurah and Pemmett, and, and spoken with a whole range of people, local farmers, foresters and others. Um, and they'd got tree densities in some areas. I went into a, a mature carry plantation. The trees are about a metre apart. I literally, you could, could actually couldn't walk into it, into the area. Now, what's happened in that area? The water table's gone down about 20 metres. Trees... The creeks and the and the streams in that area, which I know many people are passionate about, they run; they are dry. Um, they would only run with water in them for a few days in at the height of winter storms. Otherwise, they run dry. Whereas the trees in the in the normal forest, uh, the streams in the normal forest flow. Then, of course, that's important for the environment. So, we're not even seeing thinning of the timber. This is ludicrous. Uh, we need to see one a major activity of thinning. Those replanted areas back to a normal um, forest level to protect the rest of the ecosystem. Um, and otherwise, I think that a sustainable timber industry is, uh, in fact, uh, something that we should have in this state. How ludicrous. I said this in Parliament when the government announced this. What have we done with this decision, or what has the Labor government done with this decision? They are importing deforestation. We're still getting hardwood into, into Western Australia, we're just importing it. from from countries who do not have the forest management practices that we have. All right. that's the end of the the podcast. Excellent. Well, thanks very much, everyone.